0: Let's pray and then we'll get started. Okay, come on in, Karen. You can keep coming. We'll wait for you. Karen Schroedt, a bit like Dwight Schrute, but not quite. <laughs> Anybody see The Office this week? Yeah. It was great. <laughs> that was a. You could teach. Yeah, or even when the guy. You and I were talking about a different one. When the guy walks in at the end and he goes, "Why are you always so mad at me?" You know. Anybody see the office? Yeah, we just watch it the oh, it was so good. When he's the Godfather and did you hear when they went up for the baptism what they played? did they play? Dearest Jesus, we are here. Yeah, Dearest Jesus, Jesus. Da-, 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 <laughs> da 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 da. Da 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 da. You're just trying to kill time right now cuz you got you don't have a whole lot to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's pray and let's get started. Oh God, so rule and govern our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that being ever mindful of the end of all things in your just judgment, we may be stirred up to holiness of living here and dwell with you forever hereafter. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, amen. Um, while you go, can I start handing out my sheets? Okay. like a frat party, you and me, working this thing. It's going to be great.
1: Do I get a rim shot up here? Oh, boy. (laughs) 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 So, two weeks ago, I'm talking to Joe and he asked me to do this. Got to say yes to your leader, so (laughs) here I am. Um, So, my grandfather was an actuary and um, he liked numbers. Uh, He always, uh, on our birthdays, he would always give us birthday cards that would find special connections with our uh, whatever year it was. And I specifically remember like on my ninth, he said, he gave me a card that said, uh, you know, my why, why nine was really important for me because I was born on the 18th, so one and eight is nine. I was born at nine, 27, two and seven, nine. Uh, I was nine pounds, nine ounces when I was born. Sorry, mom. Uh, And I was a small one. So, that being said, we're going to talk about Noah today. Um, I'm sure you can see the connection. Uh, Anybody not know the story of Noah? If you don't, we need Sunday school teachers. Uh, You can learn it while you tell it. Um, So, here's my story. Man's day shall now be 120 years. That's one of the numbers. 7 people on the ark, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high, Uh, 2 of all animals, 7 pairs of clean animals, 1 pair of unclean animals, 7 pairs of birds. Noah was 600 years old. After 7 days, uh, that means on the 8th day, because it's after the 7th day, the rain began. Let's see. It was 600 years, two months, 17th day. The fountains of the great, great deep burst, burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth. For how many days? 40 days and 40 nights. I think we all know that. Uh, 50 cubits deep of water uh, was how how uh, deep the water got after it kept on raining. Uh, there were 150 days. Uh, the water prevailed on the earth and so in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month the ark rested on Mount Ararat in the 10th month the tops of the mountains were seen at the end of, the fort of 40 days Noah opened the, win- the window and sent forth a raven uh, one version said it returned another version said to and fro until the waters had subsided from the face of the earth so I even checked a couple versions here for you Uh, Then he sent forth one dove, he found no place, Uh, the dove found no place and it returned. Another seven days, so on the eighth day, uh, it came back um, with an olive leaf. And then um, the the third dove, after seven days, so this is now the fifteenth day, um, it did not return. So then finally on the six hundred and first year, the first month, the first day, the waters had completely subsided. On the second month, the 27th day, the earth was dry, and so Noah built an altar, burnt offering, God smelled the pleasing aroma, and said he would never do it again. So, that's it. Explain it all.
0: <laughs> B26. I feel like we're playing bingo. Uh, wow. Thanks for all the help and <laughs> setting that up so nicely. Uh... I have no idea what you just said, but it all sounded good. (laughs) It was good. It was good. All right, lots of numbers. Uh, Where to start? Well, uh, at least the carryover, that's that's good. Death, repentance, forgiveness, resurrection, live it. These are all things we've talked about as of late. Choosing incarnation, don't worry, Jesus always does what he says, and have it Christ's way. I told you two weeks ago the greatest heresy was Burger King, have it your way. Um, Actually, what James brought up, all kidding aside, I give James a hard time, because you give me a hard time. So, uh, no, all kidding aside, Noah is really all about the numbers, okay? So, all the numbers he gave you, while you may have sort of glazed through that, I mean, he gave you some very important stuff. Noah is defined primarily by the numbers. However, the story of Noah as a whole is probably this, when man couldn't do it any worse, God couldn't do it any better. Okay? When man couldn't do it any worse, God couldn't do it any better. I want want to run you through some of the bullet points in Noah, some important things to remember about Noah, and then we'll look at primarily um, or what some of the primary numbers mean. I don't know if you know this, but every number in the Bible has significance. So we sort of say, oh, isn't that great? 30 cubits or eighth day or eight people on the ark, and it's not that big of a deal. Every number in the scripture has significance, and the church fathers in particular saw that better than we see that today, okay? Uh, and partly that's because, you know, that was their culture, that was the way they operated, that was the way they were taught, that's the way they read the scriptures. But for us today, we have to recapture that deeper meaning that's behind numbers and persons and, persons and places and things. But just the story of Genesis, what do you need, man? Okay. Uh, just the story of Genesis... When man couldn't do it any worse, God couldn't do it any better. Genesis 3 to 6. Go home and read this today. And everybody thinks Genesis 1 and 2 are great. Genesis 3, then, everything hits the fan, and it goes you know, from, from bad to worse in 3 to 6. But what sets Noah apart, and Noah's name literally means rest, in the Latin, you heard it today, it was sung by the, by the octet, it was or the, I don't know how many people they had up there, but it was great. In the Latin, rest is requiem. So you go to a requiem mass, a rest mass. Noah's name means rest, and it's interesting because Noah's life is not very restful. What sets Noah apart, though, is this. Chapter 6, verse 8, he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. However, you need to be a Hebrew to understand what that means. It doesn't mean that Noah did a lot of good stuff and was found favorable in the eyes of the Lord. What it means is, in the Hebrew, the Lord looked upon him favorably. Now, that's a Lutheran way of talking. You know, Betty, the Lord's always been a Lutheran. The Lord's always been a Lutheran. Yeah, exactly. I'm not kidding, that's great. (laughs) The rest of the group doesn't believe me. No, the Lord's always been a Lutheran. He's always been a Lutheran for any number of reasons. One is, he always works by means, and two is, he always makes the first move. This is great, classic Lutheran Reformation theology. The Lord always makes the first move. Noah doesn't deserve to be favored, but the Lord looks upon him favorably. Also then, chapter 7, what does he do? He builds this ark, he puts all the animals on it, and um, he's going to be the safe haven in the midst of a storm that will destroy the entire creation. You have to begin to see the ark as a floating Eden. Everything that was created in Eden finds its place on the ark. The ark is Eden. The Lord then, verse 16, shut him in. Who does the verbs? The Lord does. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. 40 is a very prominent number. How many days was Jesus out in the wilderness? 40 days, right? 40 is also important. How many years did they wander in the wilderness? 40. See how easy this is? But God remembered Noah, or literally God was faithful toward Noah. And what happens then? Noah sends out a dove. The dove, of course, is an image of what person of the Trinity? the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is always called the great olive branch. So when the dove goes out and finds an olive leaf, you should see at least in that image the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Christ. How many folks were saved on the ark? Eight folks. So if you saw Noah's Remarkable Journey, there was a bit of heresy in that. How many many folks were in Noah's Remarkable Journey? However many kids were in the middle school at that time. I don't know. You all see this? Thank you, yes. I thought it was funny. At the very end, they say, all these people were saved. And you look up, there are like 62 kids on Noah's Ark. You're thinking, something is not right here. Eight people saved on Noah's Ark. And you remember, I don't, maybe you don't remember this. In the creation account, at the, ever, at the end of every day, what does the Lord say? There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. There was evening and there was morning the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. But guess what? On day seven, what does the Lord not say? There was evening and there was morning. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Why was there evening and morning every day, but there wasn't evening and morning on the seventh day? Because the seventh day doesn't end. The seventh day never ends. And of course, then it does end because the Lord sends a great flood. But that's why there aren't seven people saved on the ark. There are eight people saved on the ark. Eight is the new number of the new creation. The Lord did everything he needed to do in seven days, and we screwed it up. What does he do? He starts over, and he saves not seven people. He saves eight people to show eight is the number of the new creation. And then that translates all the way to the New Testament. You know, when does Jesus rise from the dead? The eighth day, right? When does he appear to the people in the upper room? The eighth day. When does he go to Emmaus? The eighth day. Okay? All these things happen on the eighth day. That's the number of the new creation. And through it all, God was active and Noah was passive. Noah wasn't a robot, okay? He's no different than you and me. But the guy who did the great verbs of salvation was not Noah. Noah was the Lord's man but the Lord did the verbs. He had him build an ark, he shut him in, he sent the flood, and he saved eight people, and he had the little birdie bring back a piece of an olive leaf to show in all of this it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work and saving Noah. Now, how was Noah saved? How was he saved? Very simple. He was put on the ark. If you weren't in the ark, what happened? You drowned. Right? This is very easy. How was Noah saved? He was inside the ark. Okay? Now, the ark, and I want you to flip to, you should have some stuff attached there. Um, flip to the very last page. It should say Louth at the top. Genesis 6, 11 to 16. I should have written in there, Andrew Louth. Okay? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, the dimensions of the Ark. This is why it was so good that James gave us all the numbers. The dimensions of the Ark actually resemble a human being. And I'll show you this in just a second. Look at... Well, let's look at both these. Look at the one that says mystical meaning of the dimensions of the Ark, St. Jerome, the guy who translated the Bible into Latin. We read in Genesis that the ark that Noah built was 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Notice the mystical significance of the numbers. In the number 50, penance is symbolized because the 50th psalm of King David is the prayer of his repentance. Isn't that interesting? 300 contains the symbol of the crucifixion, the letter Tau. That's a sign for the cross in the scriptures. Bump down. No one marked with the sign of the cross on his forehead can be struck by the devil. He is not able to efface this sign, only sin can. Isn't that great? The devil can't destroy you if you've got the mark of the cross on your forehead. That's why the first thing in the baptismal rite, what do we say after we ask, how are you named? Receive the sign of the cross both upon your forehead and upon your heart. We have spoken of the Ark, of the number 50, of the number 300, (laughs) let us comment on the number 30 because the Ark was 30 cubits high and finished above in one cubit. First, we repent in the number 50. Then, through penance, we arrive at the mystery of the cross. We reach the mystery of the cross through the perfect word that is Christ. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was baptized, according to Luke, he was 30 years of age. These same 30 cubits were finished off one cubit above, 50 and 300 and 300 and 30 were finished, off, finished above in one cubit, that is, in one faith of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, that's very mystical. But the next one is even more interesting. Look at the next one. St. Augustine. So this is 4th century. Undoubtedly, the Ark is a symbol of the city of God on its pilgrimage in history. It is a figure of the church that was saved by the wood on which there hung the mediator between God and men, himself, man, Jesus Christ. So the wood of the ark is the wood of the cross. Even the very measurements of length, height, and breadth of the ark are meant to point to the reality of the human body into which he came as it was foretold that he would come. So now just listen to this. The dimensions of the ark proportionally are the dimensions of a human being. It will be recalled that the length of a normal body from head to foot is six times the breadth from one side to the other, and ten times the thickness from back to front. Measure a man who is lying on the ground, either prone or supine. He is six times as long from head to foot as he is wide from left to right, or right to left. And he is ten times as long as he is high from the ground up. That is why the ark was made 300 cubits in length, 50 in breadth, and 30 in height. As for the door in the side, that surely symbolizes the open wound made by the lance in the side of the crucified. The door by which those who come come to him enter in, in the sense that believers enter the church by means of the sacraments that issued from his wound, blood and water, baptism and Eucharist. It was ordered that the ark be made out of squared timbers, a symbol of the four-square stability of a holy life, which, like a cube, stands firm however it is turned. So it is with every other detail of the Ark's construction. They are all symbols of something in the church. Did you ever think about that? I didn't. The Ark is not only a symbol of everything in the church, but proportionally, the Ark is a symbol of the man. And you know from Psalm 1, blessed is the man, it's gender-specific, it's a man, and it's also one man. Who is it? Jesus. The ark is a symbol proportionally of the person of Christ. Okay, now this all translates. How are Noah and his eight saved? They are in the ark. How are you saved? You are in Christ. And you know from Ephesians 5, Christ is not nebulous or abstract, Christ takes concrete, tangible form in what? The church. Okay? So I've given you there. Go back to your outline. I've given you there. takes a lot of study. Takes a lot of study. That's, very, that's right. You're up next week, Betty. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it's, it, just think about it this way. Dimensions in the ark, don't worry about what they were. But they all point to something else. Okay? And I've given you there at the bottom the Latin, which literally means outside the church, there is no salvation. Okay? Now, that will sound very Catholic to you, but Lutherans subscribe to this as well. Outside the church, there is no salvation. Extra ecclesium, outside the church. Why? Just like outside the ark, extra ark, there is no salvation. If you weren't on the ark, you weren't saved. If you aren't in Christ, you aren't saved. To be in Christ is to be in his church. Now, look at the target. Okay? Reading the signs. The Lord. What's the sign the Lord gives at the end of the, of the Noah narrative in Genesis 9? What does he say? Rainbow. Yeah. Now, how, tell me what a rainbow looks like. It's an arc, good, okay, good. Not the same kind of, it's an A-R-C, not an A-R-K, but it is an arc. What else do you know about a rainbow? What does it look like? Yeah, there's a reason it's, yeah, it's got colors, and the reason it's called a rain bow, bow. yes. Looks like a bow and arrow. Now, which way is the bow pointed?
1: Up.
0: Up. What's that? The rainbow? Looks Looks like a bow, you pull the arrow. And you'd shoot the arrow which direction? Up. (laughs) That's a stretch. (laughs) You can always count on Rich Wren for the reality of the conversation. That's a stretch. (laughs) I love you, buddy. You're exactly right. It is a stretch. Uh, OK, so if if we just want to look at the rainbow as the rainbow, it's very pretty. Um, It's also a sign. It's a sign that he'll never do it again. Um, do you hunt with a gun or a bow, Rich? Seriously, I know you fish. Do you hunt, too? Bow, gun, gun, okay. See, maybe that's the thing. Maybe you got to hunt with a bow. <laughs> St. Louis Arch. I did a funeral for a guy once who apparently had flown under the St. Louis Arch. My sermon was entitled, Better Than Airplanes, okay? Think about it. Um, yes, Dennis? Yeah? God put it in the sky as the yeah? Yeah? No yeah, I mean, you got to wonder. If there were, they didn't notice them. Um, but maybe there weren't before that. Yes? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't uh, know. <laughs> Boy, I, I just thought, you know, when he got up here and gave all the numbers, I thought you all would just sit back and say, "Yeah, this is great." And now, said you got questions. No, that's that's a stretch, and I don't know if there was rain. There were clouds. Where do you learn all this stuff? Interesting. What did you say? Moody Radio. <laughs> I woke up. Hey, no lie. For some reason, in our bedroom, the alarm clock is set to moody radio, which is scary enough. But when it went off the other day, no lie, at 6 a.m., they said, we're interviewing someone who's doing humanitarian work. This is Reverend so-and-so of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I quickly got up and turned it off. Uh, No, moody radio, I mean, can you, yeah. So I don't know, was there rain? Who knows? Here's the thing, Eden only had what was good for you. So if rain was good for you, they would have had it. If rain wasn't good for you, they wouldn't have had it. Maybe you didn't need it. Who knows? Maybe the Lord, I don't know how he operated. I don't know what Eden was like. This is like, um, Uh, what is the thing that, oh, it's like when Luther talked to this little schoolboy. Do you remember this story? The schoolboy says, what was the Lord doing before creation? Do you remember this? He asks this little kid comes up to Luther, and Luther you gotta understand, I mean, in the midst, he was beaten down like me. So Luther and his, I'm joking. So Luther, you know, he was he had a rough go of it for a few years, and he would just he was kind of grouchy with kids. And at one point, this kid says, What was the Lord doing before creation? And Luther says, He was creating hell for people who ask those sorts of questions. <laughs> so uh so then I asked. Then I, I, keeping that in mind, then I asked John Kleinig in the car, driving back from St. Louis. I said, I said, uh, I said, if there wasn't a fall, would the Lord have still become man? And he quickly said, You know what Luther said to the little boy. And I said, Yes, I do. He said, So I refuse to answer the question. I said, Okay. So was there rain? I don't know. Um, was there was it mist? I don't know. We only know what the Lord says in Scripture, which is there are animals and there's water and there are clouds and there's height and there's depth and there's all these other sorts of things and there's a tree. But whatever was there, including the animals, was not meant to bring you harm or to make you upset. Emma said to me the other day, how come there are mosquitoes? I said, because the Lord wants you to be angry every once in a while, which wasn't right. And of course she says, well, that's not what Mrs. Gady says. (laughs) I said, well, what does Mrs. Gady say? Mrs. Gady says he doesn't do anything to make you angry. I said, yes, Mrs. Gady is right. So, nothing there would have made you angry. Is the bow a stretch? Yeah, it's a stretch. Here's what you do know look at number four. It's a sign. He says it's a sign. And this also is not a stretch because it's the same Greek word. So, this is a sign, samion, in Greek, of the covenant. Chapter 9, verses 12 to 13. uh, Verses 12 and 13. You remember he says that a couple times. I'm going to give you a sign to show you how faithful I am. Now, the interesting thing, John 6. This is Jesus' great discourse on the Eucharist. What happens? They said to him, the Jews, then what sign, exact same Greek word, samion, do you do that we may see and believe you? Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And you remember then a few verses later, he says, the bread that I give is my flesh. My flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. So in Genesis 9, the Lord says, I will give you a sign, sameon, I'll give you a rainbow. In John 6, they say, give us a sign. What's the sign he gives? Himself in body and blood. Now, you can it, it might be a stretch. It is a stretch. Certainly the church fathers picked up on the stretch because for them, imagery was everything. It's a way of teaching people. Some people learn better with images and analogies and pictures. And they would always say, the rainbow, it's the first time now, the rainbow is turned upside down. It's as though the Lord is pulling the bow back on himself. So before, he was destroying creation. Boom, in the flood. Now, post post But, with the rainbow, it's as though he's willing to destroy himself. Never will I destroy creation again, he says. So there was significance not only to the fact he just put a sign up there. Yes, he could have put anything up there, but they saw the rainbow as something more than just an anything. So after all they'd been through, the very last point, the Lord gives Noah and the other seven a sign, a rainbow, pointed upward, ready to pierce himself that they might live. I won't destroy creation again. And so today, a rainbow, a sign, a sacrament, his pierced flesh and blood, John 6, found within the confines of his church on his holy day. Never will he destroy us again. If someone ever says to you, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, or you don't need to go to church to be saved, or you don't need to go to church, all you have to say is, Read Genesis chapter 6 to 9. That's like saying you could be Noah and be saved without an ark. It ain't possible. The ark is Christ, is his church. Genesis 6 to 9, Ephesians 5, and in the middle, Jesus who ties all of the scriptures together in himself. In himself. Okay? Questions or comments? Got something, Betty? <laughs> I know. Anything? Yes? <laughs> what is the word for rainbow in be Hebrew Or Greek? <laughs> 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 That's my cue that Bible study is over. <laughs> I told Emma to drive by in her tricycle and honk the horn. <laughs> oh, Some things are great. Ah. Uh, I don't know what the Hebrew word is. I—I'm uh, sure it does, but I don't know. I don't know what the Hebrew word is. I mean, I—I I haven't looked it up, so I don't know. Dan, do you have something? Anything else? Yes. Can we work through this a little more? Sure. Yeah. Let's go. If we go with the bow and bow and arrow. Yeah. Uh, the string. Now this is really going on the fly here, so <laughs> I might read. I know I did, but I didn't expect anyone to say that's a stretch. <laughs> no, but you're right. We, so good. So we have to we have to define our terms. We have to figure out how this all works. So the um, well, there's no. You're right. Uh, You know, the string could be sin and the arrow could be the cross. So what draws it back, what what sends it all into motion is the fall, is sin. And what ultimately pierces him, physically it's nails and it's spear that pierce him, but ultimately what pierces God himself is the crucifixion. That's what kills God. So... um, and the rain and the rainbow then is the sign that he's not going to kill you again because always before it was still sin it was the same it was the same uh, it was the same string and in some sense the same arrow because if Jesus doesn't die that way you and I have to die that way but it just pointed in a different direction now so it was down it's all on you and now it's up it's all on him I don't know I got to think about that some more yes David. Could be, uh, yeah, do y'all hear that? There's no bow, or there's no arrow, there's no string. He's holding the bow out there to show a sign of peace. That could be, um, that would be more apropos post-crucifixion. So you're right, at this point in human history, um, there's still an arrow to be fired. But post-crucifixion, the arrow has been launched, the lamb has been slaughtered, and you're right. Then that's why, here's the thing, yeah, that's why you still have a cross with a body on it. It doesn't mean he's re-crucified all the time you look at it, but it's an image that he'll never have to do that again. But he still holds the bow, holds the bow. And it, yeah, and he may even still hold the arrow, but he's certainly not ready to shoot it. It's not pulled back. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. What else? No strings attached? Yeah, no strings attached. <laughs> <laughs> sort of eschatological meaning to that. No strings attached. Yeah. That'd be a great sermon title for this text, No Strings Attached. Just make sure you my name. Yeah, this one goes out to Dan Kovic. Uh, thanks, buddy, for the sermon idea. <laughs> that's actually, you know what, here's the thing. This is the fun part about theology. This is the fun part about the scriptures. There's no end to what, and I know at some point you cross a limit. And you say, ah, that's too big of a stretch. I don't know if this is too big of a stretch, although it does get very close. Um, but... It depends on how you view the scriptures. If the scriptures are something to be uncovered, there never really is an end to what you can uncover, and that's the way the fathers viewed the scriptures. If the scriptures are something that have already been uncovered, then you sort of then you limit maybe what you can see in there. So that's always a stretch. But part of the fun is recognizing these things as beautiful things. Yes. I had a question on uh, the, the wording of uh, the Lord saying He'll never destroy the world
1: again. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, he says, I'll give you a new heaven and a new earth. Um, but, you know, how he's going to take care of that, we don't really know. Some people obviously speculate, and then you get books like Left Behind published, right? Fire could be what? Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I was going to make a comment, but since this goes on the radio, I don't want to say it. Not toward you, toward the fire and his love. Keep going. Yeah right. Verse 15 of chapter 9, And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So, no need to speculate about how he's going to take care of it at the end. Let him take care of that. Um, speculation is all, almost always a loser's game because there's no end to it, right? Um, so you just trust the Lord and what he said. What he said is, I'll never destroy you again by way of a flood. And after the crucifixion, what he says is, I'll never destroy you again. The crucifixion is the desolation of all of creation because Jesus embodies in himself what creation was intended to be. It's as though when he destroys Christ on the cross... It's as though he's re-destroyed creation and begun anew. That's why Jesus rises from the dead on the eighth day, the day of the new creation. Okay? Jesus, you have to see Jesus as embodying humanity and embodying creation. What he does to Christ, you actually deserve for to be done to you. But he doesn't because he does it to Jesus. Okay? All right, we got folks walking in, so let's pray and let's go. Amen. Thank you.